You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. So we did just watch this episode during the day hours, and I couldn't see anything on the screen the entire time. It was very dark. We rarely do that, watching yeah. during the day. We're busy. Mm-hmm. We have things to do. Yeah. But it's Saturday. It is. For us. For most people. At the day, yeah, but when you're listening to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Currently, for you, where we are right now in time and space, it is Saturday. You will be listening probably on Wednesday, maybe mm-hmm. Tuesday night. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, interesting. Always weird to shake up the podcast schedule because my body's like, no, this is not when we do this. It's not dark. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we'll. I think we're just gonna have to to deal with the challenges that arise from really, that. We are professionals. We are. You know what's cool? What? Uh, in like the last couple of days, we had no reason to be like, oh, and by the way, this horrific thing happened on the news. Like obviously coronavirus is happening, but like you guys know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is so nice to not wake up every day with a sense of dread. Like, what did he do now? We were worried. We were we were mm-hmm. worried about the inauguration, and it turns out it was super boring. <laughs> super, <laughs> which boring. is how I want things to be. Did you see the the photo of the like one protester? No, <laughs> there was only one, and he was telling reporters he was so sad because he thought that there would be thousands of people there. I think they all learned their lesson and or are in jail. Well, a lot of them, a lot of them, uh. This was going around on like the whatever weird like psycho alt right channels they used to communicate. We're like, it's a trap. The Democrats are setting up a trap. Don't go protest. Very funny. Yeah, I want you to think that. Please keep thinking that. Please go away and never show your faces ever again. Um, but beyond politics, we have some big, big things to talk about here on the Teen Wolf Rio podcast. Oh, welcome to the Teen Wolf Rio podcast. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. And this is a podcast where we put a tinfoil hat on our clown wigs and talk about Teen Wolf. A a delightful and accurate description. (laughs) Um, We're closing out season three, which is crazy. It feels... We are almost officially halfway through Teen Wolf. Which is bonkers. Yeah. Um, What a weird thing to think about. And it's it's been so long and yet not so long because of the coronavirus that disrupted everyone's lives yes but i'm excited that we've made it to this point yeah me too we're definitely moving into the sort of second era of teen wolf when we get to season four Mm -hmm. this is truly the end of like i would like call teen wolf 1.0 yeah maybe teen wolf teen Teen wolf (laughs) 1.5 yeah there's There's, there's a significant difference between two and three um but we're major changes are headed our way and and we're gonna have to 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 you know, talk about it to wrap it all up. So mm-hmm. this week we're talking about episode 12 of 3B, uh, Divine Move. Which is apparently a thing in the game of Go. But since I don't know anything about the game of Go, they could have just said that and it may or may not be a real thing. True. I didn't do any research. <laughs> but neither did the writers. Pew, pew, pew. Pew, um, pew, pew. This episode was written um, by Jeff Davis and Angela Harvey, like every single episode in this particular season and directed by Russell Mulcahy. We've not had an episode directed by him in a while. King. So yeah, there were some moments that I, I really thought were very nice. You on Twitter on have gotten people to watch Highlander. Uh, send all of your feedback directly to me because Christian is not interested. Yeah. People tweeted, people have tweeted about us a Highlander before, but I run the Twitter. So I'm like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> But uh, if you want to talk about Highlander, you got to take that shit to Instagram, which is Julia's territory. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there. 
Uh, There's not a whole lot to talk about. It's just like, wow, that's a crazy, stupid movie (laughs) (laughs) that I love. Uh, Yeah. Crazy, stupid movie is about, you know, you'd think it would fall right into my taste, but Uh, so yeah, before we get into talking about this season finale, we do have to do a recap. Mm -hmm. You are going first. That's okay. Is it? Well, I, I am a hundred percent not going to be able to get through this all the way because literally we were 15 minutes into the episode and my plot notes were halfway down the page. Yeah. So, it was, it was a real back and forth, like whoop de doop spin around type of deal. Yeah. A, a whirly do, if you will. Early critique of this episode, too much. They, they, they bit off more than they can chew. 50 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. Yes. Are you ready to give the recap? Yes. One, two, three. Okay, so Allison has just died, and Chris is trying to talk Scott through how he has to interact with the cops. Parrish is interviewing them. Styles and Kira have ended up at Kira's parents, um, and they're talking about Go and how Styles has to come up with a divine move to defeat the Nagitsune. Um, Isaac goes to the Arden's apartment, and they are sad together. The Oni show up at the police station and the hospital. Um, the twins are at Derek's apartment, and they're like, we're going to run. And Derek's like, well, that's stupid, because you're never going to be in Scott's pack if you keep running away from things. And then um, Scott and Lydia are at uh, the animal hospital talking to Deet about how to possibly contain the Nugitsune, and then he's like, well, you need a box that contains the Nematon, like the box that contains Talia's claws. Yada, yada. Um, the Nugitsune shows up at the hospital, and he starts wreaking havoc. Melissa and Raph are talking, and then she gets hurt. Um, Isaac and Chris realize that Silver can kill the Oni, and so they go about to stop it. Scott, Kira, Styles, and Lydia all show up to the school, and it turns into the garden from the beginning, but it's wintertime now, um, and Derek is showing up with the twins to try to get the Nematon box to the school. Um, the Nugitsune is like, you don't have any moves left, and so uh, they keep fighting, and he tries to tell Styles that he needs to kill himself. I knew, I knew that was going to happen, and I felt very confident about the, re- the information I was relaying. No, you were detailed. Um, you clearly watched this episode I, just a couple minutes ago. I was there. You were there. I was yeah. there also. Mm-hmm. We'll see how much I watched. Together. Um, are you going to, do you want to start from the beginning or do you want to? Yeah, I'll start from the beginning. Okay. Um, are you ready? Yes. Okay. You have one minute on the clock starting now. So lights up on the police station and they're giving their statements. And then like Chris has to tell Scott basically how to give a false statement to the police. It's very sad. And then they're in the Yukimura house and they're like the Nugitsune, you would need a divine move to close in on him because this is how he plays to go. And then there's Arjun's house and, and uh, Isaac is like, I'm sad. I'm not here for you. And then Scott and Lydia go to the animal hospital and Deaton is like, you need something that can contain the Nugitsune, like a Nematon box. And they're like, we actually know where one is. And then at the Derek's apartment the twins are like we're leaving and Derek is like you guys are so fucking dumb stop doing that and then they're at the police station again and the Oni show up and they Oni show up at the hospital as well and they start stabbing people with his poison blades and then they go they all regroup and they go to the school and they're fighting the Nugitsune in like this weird dreamland and then Styles like the Nugitsune is like you have to kill yourself or everyone else will die and then Styles is like wait this is an illusion and then they uh trap the Nogetsune by Scott biting him and they put the Nogetsune spirit in the Nematon box because Isaac shows up just in time after they defeat the Oni because Allison figured out that Silver kills them but the Oni kill Aiden. That's it. I think I did okay. The Oni kill Aiden. Yes. And then there's um, a lot of little like vignettes at the end of this of people just being sad mostly. I will say right now Teen Wolf has never was never able to master the seasonal transition no. Um, and I think about this, like this, uh, in Mad Men a lot. Like there is, uh, basically an episode of Mad Men where they find out that Sterling Cooper, the original ad agency is going to be bought out or is going bankrupt, bought out. And 
what they do is they bring in like four people from the original agency and they're like, start making calls and see who, what clients we can get. And then the next season they were just in Sterling Cooper Draper price. It's like amazing new cool mod mid-century office. And it's like, yeah, I didn't actually need any of that business in between here and there. Teen Wolf is always trying to give you that business between here and there. And Mm -hmm. so like the last five, 10 ish minutes of this episode is like, Oh, but Malia's still here. Oh, and La Loba. Oh, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, just give us that later. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't crave it now because you just killed off two characters. I need time to mourn. Yeah. Let us figure it out. Um, yeah, I would say that that's like a, a strength of um, Buffy as well, which I'm also rewatching at, at the same time where that you don't have to give us the summer in between like the different school years or between them, like destroying their high school and going to college. You just, you just move on. You can, you have to like let your audiences uh, just fill some gaps in because that's how TV works. Yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm smart. They're not dumb. Yeah. And I overthink these things. Clearly that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving into like our actual discussion and not just me whining, <laughs> there's room for that. <laughs> Q's and O's. Um, we are going to be talking about this episode through the theme of faith. Um, which, you know, it's kind of like, that's maybe the obvious choice with like a divine move. (laughs) But primarily because this episode is so spaced out and everybody is on their own, everyone has to have faith that everyone is doing the right thing at the right time for everything to work, which Mm -hmm. is really, really, um, interesting. And it's sort of an integral factor of Scott's pack. Yes. And I will say that this is a really kind of a satisfying payoff from all of the buildup about Scott being an alpha and Scott having a pack because if you had tried to do this in the earlier seasons I would have been like that's so unbelievable you haven't established that relationship between all of these characters yet or it's not strong enough and I think that this was a wonderful place to like pull it in and show everyone how connected they are I agree yeah Yeah. we need everybody needed to grow up a little bit Mm -hmm. um and they're juniors in high school so they're old now I loved being 17 I don't know what it was about being a junior in high school but 17 has always felt like my soul age like that's the most my age I've ever felt I can barely remember being 17 so fair I don't know what I'll it take was your word for I it. hated being 18 and that 18 you should like because you're like I'm an adult freedom but I was like I can buy a lottery ticket I didn't I never <laughs> even did that I don't know is that a thing what? I really don't feel like there's lotteries in other countries there are there, there are there yeah i don't know i've never heard about it so well, interesting. I guess let us know if you live in a different country and there are lotteries and how that works for you guys anyway um or how old you have to be to buy the tickets yeah, yeah. i didn't i didn't do the lotto ticket you have to be 18 yeah um, um i didn't do the, i didn't even buy a pack of cigarettes like i just <laughs> I, I turned 18 so unceremoniously you're like well i guess i'm old now yeah i think i just saw my life flash before my eyes and was like this sucks <laughs> Well, it's funny because we actually were talking earlier this week about like why um, British people really still like heartily celebrate their 21st birthday, even though that's no longer their age of majority, but apparently it used to be. So like when you turn 18 in America, it's like, oh, I can buy a lottery ticket and I can buy cigarettes, but I still can't drink. I still can't drink. So there's no real reason yeah. to like party it up. No. 21 is fun mm-hmm. though. Yeah. 21 is fun time. if you do it correctly. There's a lot of people who really ruined their own lives on their 21st <laughs> birthday. <laughs> Yeah, so any of our our, uh, teen listeners out there, just, you know, pace yourself. (laughs) What'd you do on your 21st birthday? Um, 
I went out to dinner with my stepdad because my whole family was gone and my birthday's in the summer. So I never got to celebrate my birthday with my friends. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. It was really fun though. He took me to get ice cream and Aww. it was very sweet. That's we had really a good time. Cute. Yeah. Mine was theater prom, which so. is great because I didn't have to plan anything. I just had to go to theater prom. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. What were we talking about? Faith. Right. <laughs> And <laughs> we had a taste of blasphemy and now we're going to move into the alternate. Um, yes. So where do you want to start? I kind of want to start with Derek and the twins. Let's do it. They have, they're, they play more of a part than they have in the last couple of episodes. Um, I totally agree. And something that is so interesting to me is that the twins are so prepared to run away. And that makes me kind of wonder about like alpha pack dynamics. Like if they ever dug themselves into a situation as a pack that like the only solution was to just dip. Um, because it occurs to me if that's the case, if that's always their natural inclination, which it has been up until this point, that they didn't really have all that much of faith in Deucalion. So having faith in an alpha in like their alpha is like new concept. Oh, definitely. I do think that that probably comes from their experience as Omegas, but we're also led to believe that like Ethan and Aiden are young. They're teenagers. Mm -hmm. So I kind of get the feeling, and not that we would ever know, but I kind of get the feeling that Ethan and Aiden were the last alphas to join the pack um, and probably didn't have, you know, seniority. However, the like hierarchy works in an alpha pack so they probably just like didn't even have time to figure that out and also like why would you have faith in decalion he's he's just, handsome he's well he's he handsome. Is incredibly handsome he has a nice talking voice and a, and that's that a good bone structure <laughs> i'm in i'm an easy sell he does have beautiful cheekbones but you know if you like join the alpha pack and then you can turn into turbo wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wonder if they were just kind of like biding their time. I, I doubt it was biding their time, but I do think that maybe they were waiting for something more mm-hmm. um, that never came. Yeah. Uh, and Derek who has his, his faith in Scott is so unwavering and so strong. It's, you know, he sits there and basically like proselytizes to them that like, you need to believe in this person. And the only way to believe in him is to believe in the things that he believes. Mm -hmm. You don't get to just pledge allegiance. You actually have to like follow through in the structures of like, of how his, his pack works. Scott doesn't want you to fall at his feet. He wants you to follow in his footsteps. Mm -hmm. And that is like, so interesting to me that Derek is so acutely aware of that and I don't think that, I think Derek is the only character who does it consciously. I think everybody else, you know, does it magnetically. Mm-hmm. Well, Derek has had the misfortune of trying to build his own pack and having it not work out and watching Scott kind of like rise through the ranks and becoming an alpha. And so he, he knows what it takes to make it work and he knows why his pack failed. Mm-hmm. They all died. But in, in general. Isaac's still alive. That's true. He's just not in his pack anymore. Um, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't have one. Um, and I also think that he just like has a tremendous amount of admiration for Scott um, for what he's been able to accomplish. And I think this is as close as we're ever going to get to Derek acknowledging his flaws. <laughs> well, I think that Teen Wolf is a little bit better about actually acknowledging them. And I think that Teen Wolf does a good job of sort of the character study of there are, there are things that make people good and bad at leading. Um, 
And I think that Derek does have a pack now. He's just not the alpha. He's in Scott's pack. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to me is that Derek has kind of been a little bit like backseaty for the last couple of episodes. And all of a sudden, like as duty calls is like fully prepared to go all in for Scott. Well, we saw that um, in the episode where they're trying to like, when they think that Kira is the one that the Oni are coming after and he just shows up like mm-hmm. to be there for Scott. Yeah. Um, and he also, you know, he's just been around, like he is kind of the supporting character. And I also think that like Scott would never forget the fact that Derek is the one who taught him werewolf school. I think there's a mutual respect. Yes. Um, which I, you know, men, men, uh, respond to that. <laughs> we have a, uh, a card <laughs> at my work. That's like, Happy birthday. Adult male friendships are awkward. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Um, But yeah, Derek loves Scott and is going to be there for him. And I, I also think that he kind of has some pity for the twins and wants to help them out. I don't, I, I don't even know if it's pity so much as like, he's frustrated with their misunderstanding. Mm hmm. He's like, how do you not see that this is the way, my friends? He's trying to convert them. (laughs) But he's also said something like that to them numerous times. This is not the first time that Derek has tried to get them to do like a little come to Jesus about what Scott's pack is all about. Yeah. This is just the first time they understand and listen. Yeah. Well, I also think like in terms of the twins, it is really hard for them to take their faith um, outside of their relationship. Like Mm -hmm. they mostly just completely depend on each other. Um, which is codependent and weird, but they don't really have anybody else who's ever offered them the same protection because Mm -hmm. like, where are their parents? You know, a question I ask myself anytime I'm watching a teen drama. Did they, did, did after their, their werewolf transformation, maybe their parents were wolves. Mm -hmm. If that's true, then that means they probably had to kill their parents to get into the alpha pack. See, this is where I'm like, uh, a crumb more of information about these people would have made understanding their attitude and their behavior so much easier. Mm-hmm. But let's say, like, their parents weren't werewolves and, you know, this is the sort of best moral case scenario. Mm-hmm. Their parents died because a werewolf killed them and then that's how they returned, you know? Yeah. That means they have no one except each other. So I really do understand that their whole like plan is like, well, if we get out and we protect each other, but then all of a sudden they have for the first time created relationships outside of each other. And like Ethan doesn't know what to do with about Danny and mm-hmm. Derek tells Aiden, you think Lydia is going to run and hide because Derek knows Lydia. <laughs> yeah. That, I thought that was delightful. Um, I think that Derek looks at Lydia and is a little bit like, you terrify me. <laughs> you are scary. Scary lady. Um, yeah. Any, any person who could bring Peter back to life would also scare me. Peter was missing from this episode. Peter's been missing he from was. this season. I could really just, I, I need him. Yeah. He's a big part of next season, I guess. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And even when Derek kind of like dips, He's around. Yeah. Because he has a condo downtown. Like he just, I, he's just around just because he lives there, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Derek um, has had his faith tested kind of throughout his whole journey of being back in Beacon Hills and finally has kind of ended up where he belongs, which is having faith in Scott. And uh, he's trying to get the twins there as well. 
Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, moving on, I want to talk a little bit about Chris and Isaac and the faith that they now have to have in each other, but more importantly, the faith that they collectively have in Allison. Mm-hmm. So clearly, I mean, like Isaac has, has experienced, um, probably the only comparable grief out of all of besides styles, um, of all of the characters, uh, all of the young characters in regards to Allison's mm-hmm. death, but he never really was able to to deal with that. And all of a sudden, you know, he's following Chris into the, uh, into his apartment. And Chris is completely would not think this if he weren't completely emotionally destroyed, but is like, I'm, I don't need, you know, a friend right now. And Isaac has to be like, I do. And it a little bit is like Isaac's primary caretaker throughout the season has been mama McCall Mm -hmm. from what we just Assume. Like, yeah, from what we infer. And he is looking at this man being like, and having, you know, faith that their collective love of Allison is going to allow this guy to take care of him. Yeah, it's tremendously sweet. Um, Isaac is also coming from the perspective of like, not having had as much of a run in with Chris as like a hunter as everybody else, like he doesn't have that, um, trauma, I guess. I, I guess. With Chris. Um, so I think that may, maybe makes it easier for him, but like all of the other characters have their parents. Yeah. And I think Isaac kind of sees Chris as like, this is my opportunity. Well, it's a little bit like I, everybody else, you know, this episode concludes with Scott crying in his, you know, mom's arms, which is such a, such a powerful image. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of a sudden Isaac has no parents and has found the person who has no children in yeah. this, this moment. Um, and Chris obviously is, you know, because he's had to be so closed off to just get through the, the, the rest of this day. He hasn't really been thinking about like, he's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I compartmentalize my emotions and he like, hasn't really been thinking about the fact that like once he's in his apartment, he doesn't like really have to. And Isaac, cannot mm-hmm. um and it, it it amounts to probably that i feel like that is the moment the very moment that chris is like i will take him with me and i'm gonna give this kid a home um but them th- having that you know this sort of breach in their emotional closed offedness is what allows them to sort of start talking a little bit about allison after this which what is what brings them to the conclusion that Allison had figured it out that it was silver that can poison the Oni. And that is just a continuation of their faith in Allison as an incredibly smart person and a warrior mm-hmm. um, and her amazing skills of deduction. Yeah. Um, so carrying on like the way that they believe in her. Yeah. Which is very touching. It also is like, Isaac has so much faith in Allison in being as smart as she is so that he, there's not a single moment where he questions like, Oh, maybe I'm just, you know, extrapolating or maybe I, maybe that she didn't, maybe she meant something else. He's like, no, she, she figured it out. And I believe that she figured it out. And Chris is so quick to be like, yes, you are right. You were right because Allison was that smart. Um, and that faith in her intelligence allows them to end up killing the rest of the Oni with the, silver arrowheads mm-hmm. um and also allows them to go to the school without you know 
with like without reservation like they are gonna go do this and it is it like in her name pretty much mm-hmm. yeah it's i think it's interesting because of course allison was part of the pack and isaac is part of the pack and it kind of feels now by extension that chris is an ally to the pack maybe not like part of it because pack adjacent he's a full adult which i feel like sometimes the full adults are very much like outside they're um, pack adjacent the pack itself yeah so um like they are doing it for allison but that like in just a wider sense they're doing it for allison and her friends mm-hmm. and her pack and the the community that they've built because they are doing what allison would do if she had made it out mm-hmm. like they are sort of acting as you know the extension of allison in her absence which is so effing sad it's her her legacy yeah it mm-hmm. is um and i think that is why i would really love a spinoff of chris and isaac and whatever they were doing in europe because I think that they would have gone on. And I think that Chris kind of does go on to, you know, behave and act and think in the way that Allison does and did. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's also helped tremendously by um, all of the interactions that Isaac and Chris have had over the season. And I think that's... I I have some frustrations, and we'll, we'll get into this, about, like... Uh, things that were kind of dropped into this season for no particular reason, but that is one that I think pays off so nicely. Oh, especially like the whole another werewolf thing. Yeah. We see very sort of clear pinpoints where like he all of a sudden is like, well, I guess he's sticking around. (laughs) I guess he's helpful and polite. Yeah. (laughs) And he likes my daughter. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's very sweet. And I don't know. You just gotta, you gotta have faith in people. Yeah. And and beyond that, they both have incredible faith in Scott. Mm-hmm. Like I, and we'll get into this about the, the characters who have to have faith in Styles in this episode. I don't really know how much faith uh, Isaac has in Styles <laughs> since they do have their little quips. Like they're very snooty to each other, mm-hmm. which is like, yes, because this is my best friend, not your best friend. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> But he believes that that if he is just able to help in some small capacity, Scott will be able to save the day, mm-hmm. which he does by biting the nugget tonight. But really, Style saves the day because he tells Scott to do that. But but Isaac's like all-consuming faith of Scott, yeah, like in Scott <laughs> is um, a lot. He, he, he is a Wednesday Sunday churchgoer <laughs> of the. You know, Sacred Heart of Scott McCall. <laughs> he loves him. And also just Scott over and over again has proven that he will choose the right thing and has thus earned their faith. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else to say about Isaac and Chris? Uh, only that I love them and wish them well. <laughs> have fun in France. Yeah. Mon voyage. <laughs> <laughs> we'll miss them. We really will. Well, Chris comes back. He does. In in a wonderful way. I actually didn't realize how much I had been missing him until he came back when and I you was were watching like, it the first yes, time. Yes. I miss I missed Christopher. But then yeah. you were like, Where's your son? Where did he go? He just he was like Daniel Sharman was like, I am very her. busy being a Medici. <laughs> so um I will just carry on here. Yeah. And you can go back to that. Okay. Yeah. So next I want to talk about Lydia and her faith in styles. 
She's all in. She's so in. Particularly because, well, Lydia has kind of been the one person who has been able to see Styles clearly this entire season because she loves him and she also has a clear understanding of the danger that they are all in because of Styles slash the Nogitsune when they were the same person. Mm-hmm. And because of her banshee powers is just like so attuned to like everything that's going on. And so is, I think his best ally and why wouldn't they trust each other? I also think that now that she has experienced the Nogitsune in it's separate form, mm-hmm. she is so much more comfortable being around like real styles again, like to have her, you know, uh, faith be so distorted by her experience being kidnapped by the, by what looks like styles to be in the presence of actual styles again must be so comforting. Mm-hmm. And she must be like, this feels so whole and right. Uh, And when, you know, it seems that finally the words that are coming out of this person's mouth are that of like justice and like goodness, it Mm -hmm. is so much easier to be like, yeah, listen to Styles, do it. Um, She's always had faith in him. Yes. Um, Not episode one. No, but somebody emailed us. a lovely girl named Andrea and they brought up that there are people in the fandom who think that Stidia being Endgame was fan service. I just can't agree and not just because I love Stidia, but I was actually just going to bring this up how physically close they are to each other in this episode. Um, They have excellent like, physical rapport yeah and it's not even in like a romantic sexual tension kind of no, way no it's comfort it is they turn to each other like when she sees aiden on the ground she turns around and styles is there right away yeah and she just goes to him because the, and that that is a familiar image to us like him comforting lydia mm-hmm. and um again like talking about how scott has proven that he deserves people's faith styles as himself and not the no gets in it has proven over and over again that he deserves to have people believe him. I agree. Um, and in terms of the fan service question, these moments are what built up Stidia and we would have been so effing bored Mm -hmm. if they got together in season four or five. I would agree. And not even just in this episode, but I, I find it so difficult to understand how you could watch 3B in particular, um, or even just like the end of 3A when Lydia is like the person that would bring Styles back, yeah, from being like his tether, dead, his yeah. tether, and the fact that she is the one who like leads the charge to Eichenhaus to try to find him when he's missing, like it. There and are then just... that is then replicated by him rescuing her from Eichenhaus. Yes, it's um so good. It is very well plotted. Yeah. Their relationship. Yes. As friends, most importantly. Yeah. They would just hang out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they do. I'm and sure they, they and like. And they do. Yeah. So. Like she hangs out on his bed playing with his little twine. Yeah. No, I mean, like mm-hmm. in the interim of episodes, like they go to the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like you just know they do. And, and it's, it's great to see just how much she puts faith back in him when he feels like he deserves it the least. You know, he's still very suicidal in this episode. This is a suicide mission to um, yeah. to Styles, which is why I want to talk about Scott's faith in Styles. 
Yeah. At the, so at the beginning of this episode, Derek is talking to the twins and saying that Scott's mission has always been about his friends. He will do anything and everything to save his friends. And as they're about to walk into the school slash Japanese garden, Styles says to Scott, I know that you're all thinking this. It was kind of abrupt. It was very weird. But she, he was like, you know, I know you're all thinking this, that, you know, defeating the Nagitsune might mean killing me. And you have to do it for the greater good. And Scott just point blank is like, I'm not going to do that. The mission is to save you. Yes. And this is not a new concept for us as viewers, for his pack. That's just not Scott's MO. Oh yeah. I mean, we've said this before. He doesn't believe in no win scenarios. Mm -hmm. And I also think that like, could you imagine after losing Allison, what it would feel like for Styles to be like, you're going to lose me too, because that's the only way out. Mm-hmm. Scott literally can't let himself think that. Yeah. He has enough faith in himself and enough faith in Styles that they are somehow going to get through this. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because, um, when Chris is talking to Scott about talking to the cops and like coming up with a story that is plausible and not supernatural, Scott is just like, how are you doing this? And Chris is like, well, it's what I have to do. And as soon as Styles gets put in danger, and as soon as Scott like tries to figure out a way to end this, that is the immediate attitude that he snaps into. Mm-hmm. It's not like, I don't have time to be grieving over Allison in this very moment because this is what I do. Yeah, this is I what save I, ha- Styles. I have to get done. Yeah. Um, and when Styles asks Kira and Scott to stop fighting, that is a crazy thing to ask them to do. He asks them to endure, like torturous pain because that's what they're seeing and feeling and sensing Mm -hmm. to break the illusion and they do it they know that he is telling the truth they believe him inherently like there's really no question about it and they allow like the oni like um not the oni but the the hallucinations to slash at them with their katanas as they walk through to get back into the school as opposed to the like figment imagination japanese garden that is a crazy ask and they are so willing to, you know, fulfill it. I think it's even more impressive coming from Kira who is so brand new to all of this and has not been through the same challenges that this whole pack has I think been. that comes from her faith in Scott. Yeah, it's absolutely. not in Styles and she is so in and if if Scott believes that Styles is telling the truth, she believes on Scott's merit. Yeah. This is one of those things where like I I've heard that there are people who don't like styles and we have we, neither of us understand that because no how one how did you make it through the show how but they are both like also both, stop tweeting that at us <laughs> both scott and styles are so integral to the way that like the world works yeah. in teen wolf and the fact that they trust each other means that like kira doesn't have to trust styles she trusts scott yeah. Like we couldn't, we couldn't have Teen Wolf without their dynamic, and and like they would all die, they would all die without the Scott Styles dynamic. Yeah, season five. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also think that like I, I really do think that sort of Lydia and um, and I hate to just sort of be like, well, they're the like the 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 sides of the two main male characters, but I think that the Lydia's trust in Styles to Scott is is sort of replicated by the. Kira trusts in Scott two styles type yeah. way. I, w- I, I think it's like, um, 
deeply rude <laughs> to be like, oh, the girls are just the side character. I, I am not trying not, to say no, that. No, not yeah, that yeah, you yeah. were saying that, but I think that that's maybe an argument that some people make versus the fact that like both Kira and Lydia bring their own tremendous skills. Not they just have to the show, crazy but to powers. Yes. Styles is, okay, at the end of the day, and we have to say this, Styles is just some guy. <laughs> He's just a dude. He's just a human dude. But that's very important in a show where there's not a lot of just human dudes. Yeah. Um, who have any kind of significance. So the the dynamic of faith, I mean, this is like the replication of Motel California as well, where Styles is like, well, if you are going to light yourself on fire, you have to take me with you. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Like, <laughs> the, yeah. the Scott and Styles of it all. I know. It's so important. I wish anybody loved me like they love each other. It's so... We, we've talked about this a million times, how refreshing it is to see their particular relationship play out like that. Yes. Um, I... We probably need to talk about the Nogetsune aspect of it all. Mm-hmm. The Nogitsune is somebody who only has faith in himself, obviously. Does Nogitsune have a gender? They only have faith in themselves. <laughs> I think that's solid. We'll keep it that way. I think if it was a different body, you know, like mm-hmm. if Allison... Were the Nogitsune? Yeah. Yeah, because it could have been any of them. Yeah. One, love the return of the of the mummy. The mummy is so cool. The, so good. The detailing of that he's still wearing Reese's uniform with like the bomber jacket. like And the silver teeth. So cool. So disgusting. And you know what? That that reminds me of like one of the best and t- most terrifying and also most ridiculous James Bond villains. His name is Jaws and he just has these huge metal teeth and he like rips cars apart with his mouth. Cool. It's so cool. Um, the design of the Nogitsune is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but the Nogitsune has, I don't think, ever considered that somebody could get the upper hand on him. But if anybody could, it would be Styles because it takes a bitch to know a bitch. <laughs> they are both <laughs> crazy. Yeah. And like Styles is always like five feet ahead. He's also five feet behind, which is just a symptom of having ADHD. <laughs> well, Scott, like Styles' greatest strength in this. Um, in being just like a human dude is his willingness to believe certain things. Like he believes that Scott's a werewolf before Scott even knows. And he, you know, is so willing to, to take things on faith. Yes. <laughs> and to work with that knowledge um, that of course he would be the one to play the Nagitsune and win. Yeah. Um, but the Nagitsune is like mad that yeah. they ruined his game of go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, again, like he has truly never considered that he was not going to win. Like that's how much they, he, she, it mm-hmm. believes in itself. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it doesn't occur to them that there is a chance that styles who everybody else has all this faith in could win. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so triumphant that, Scott acting on faith of Styles being right and interpreting that little scroll correctly bites the Nogitsune. What happens if it doesn't work, right? Yeah. Yeah. What where do they go from there? But he believes so wholeheartedly that Styles has figured it out and saves the day. And also because I mean, not that the Nogitsune is a human person, but he is in the form of Styles, and Scott just in general is kind of like anti using his alpha powers to turn other people into werewolves. Mm-hmm. So what if there are just two Styleses? I'm trying you know? to remember if there was like a promo for this episode that involved biting Styles. That I, th- I feel like people freaked out about it. <laughs> they were like, "Huh? Mm-hmm. 
Quebecois. Um, yeah, it's very, very interesting. And it actually, I don't know, I feel like there are a lot of um, board games that kind of come to this particular head where all you have left is a divine move. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking about like a risk and in particular Lord of the Rings risk, because it doesn't matter how many territories you lose. If you destroy the one wing, the one wing, yeah. the one ring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the bite is the one ring. God, risk sucks. It takes so long to play. Yeah. That's why it's your dad's favorite game. Oh my gosh. People, anytime somebody suggests risk, they always suggest at like 11 o'clock at night. And you're like, I will not be here till four in the morning. I will. And then you're there till four in the morning. <laughs> yeah. You, you really can only play risk with people you genuinely like because it does require six hours. Of- and will ruin friendships. Yeah. Um, which Scott, <laughs> Scott and Styles playing a big game of risk. <laughs> Well, that's, that's kind of the thing where like, yeah, we're talking about this through the very, um, you know, lofty concept of theme, but if we're really going to get right down to it, um, the power of friendship is what saves every single season. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The power of friendship and the power of love. I was just about to sing that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, and even the sort of more auxiliary things that are happening, the things that I would consider like consequential to the major arc of this episode so like the no, uh, the oni slicing melissa and deaton and the sheriff because of the position they've been put in which is dying uh <laughs> they also just have to be like those stupid kids better better crank this one out because i cannot do anything about it which yeah. also you know is an act of faith is just believing that something in the universe will fix what's happening mm-hmm. um and you think about poor parish who has no idea at this point what could possibly be going on and you know stolinsky doesn't like tell him he doesn't try to update him on the situation he's just like keep calm and stay awake that's all we can do he ha- he has faith in parish yeah and vice versa yeah and then we find out that I really thought that we got some sort of inkling in this particular episode that Parrish is supernatural, but no, we did not. No. Except that he doesn't die, but nobody really does. Nobody. Well, Aiden. Aiden dies. I said to you while we were, we were watching this, this is really the first time the good guys, like some people we have known well have died in the show. Like, unfortunately, we've had we've lost Erica and Boyd, but their deaths didn't they weren't as Erica was fridged and we didn't actually know Boyd we didn't get the Mm -hmm. full extra season and a half to get to know Boyd like we did Isaac yeah and it's um that's very unfortunate um and a failure on the part of the writing room the writer's room um and just like plotting out the season in general and not making room for that kind of stuff but yeah we've talked in the past about the seasonal transitions between it being kind of like a lighthearted teen show to something a little bit more dark. Um, and the consequences of this season are just magnitudes worse. Well, I think that they actually now fulfill the value of the darkness where it was like, Mm -hmm. again, like teen wolf really didn't bury their dead. This is like the, the reaction to Allison's death has been the first time we've seen people properly grieve. Yeah. And I mean, like I said last time, I do um, main character death. Not that Aiden is like a main, main character, but main character death doesn't really bother me if it serves the story well. And I think these two particular deaths um, 
serve a purpose. Yeah. You know, we didn't get to see anybody hold Boyd as he died. Yeah. And... And Erica died by herself. So sad. Ugh. Why did the demon writers do that? No one just opening old wounds. (laughs) Like... (laughs) What is this podcast besides opening old Teen Wolf wounds? Yeah, but it, I mean, it wouldn't be right for us to be like, oh, they, you know, we really appreciate these deaths without acknowledging no. the failures in the past of not being able to uh, mourn or bury their dead in any way. Yes. Uh, do you have any more, anything else to say on the on the, on the idea of faith? No, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, Melissa has a few moments with um, Scott's dad and after literally everything, I do think that she still has faith that he can make things up to Scott, whether or not he will is a completely different um, question. Nothing deep in that. I just, you know, it, it's a bit that was important to the episode, but it also could have been left out. So it's not hugely impactful. No, I would but, have been more impactful if we had seen a conversation. If we if we had actually seen the conversation of uh, Raphael telling Scott he's going back to San Francisco. Yeah. Where the hell is Beacon Hills? <laughs> I wish I knew. I do not know. But I feel like knowing would just make it worse. Like, if they were like, oh, Beacon Hills is Bay Area, I'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like... And it what it's like an hour he can get you know in my mind I just can like I conceive of Beacon Hills as like Sunnydale which I think is like an hour north of LA so okay yeah so that's like many hours from San Francisco yes it is um okay if he's like state fed wouldn't he be in the capital he wouldn't be in LA or San Francisco you mean Sacramento yeah Man, Dean, I hate you. Why am I thinking this hard about this? Um, I don't know. Maybe he like travels all over. I don't. I'm, I'm I done guess. caring. Uh, do you want to do some questions and observations before we do our season wrap up? Um, yeah, I don't really have any questions unless I mean, do you have questions about this particular episode of Teen Wolf? Um, I'm a little bit like, what was the necessity of the Derek Kate scene? I really, I, I think that if that were the opening scene of season four, of season four, a la the like sort of opening scene of the season, just a cold open of like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that conversation between him and styles that he has in his head is like very interesting. And like it, I, I love that. He's like, well, he's, I love that Derek subconscious is like the only person who would be able to help with this <laughs> is styles. And I think it's less about the no gets today and more to do with the fact that like styles is the only one with this obscure information. Well, yeah, literally styles just knows shit. Yeah. And there's something about the lighting in that scene where it's like styles is lit from the back and they're in the, in the locker room, which is like, why would they ever be in there where you know that it's not, something's not right. Yeah. Um, it is interesting unnecessary for this episode stop distracting us from the weight of everything that has already happened because we need to fucking like fork in season four yeah we had complained about the the way that 3b opens with like peter and Derek um being tortured by mexican hunters for no discernible reason um and i guess that they were like well we have to have some payoff for that and uh, no you didn't do that three episodes ago you did because I also think that like they could the way oh my god hold on I just like completely lost my train of thought it's back um the fact that like the twins get shot with wolfbane's 
Wolfsbane bullets in the episode before and we don't really know who did it. Like that is enough mm-hmm. of a tantalizing mystery to get me thinking ahead. Yeah. That they did not need this scene whatsoever. No. So in the response to my question, what was the value? Nothing. Then? Nothing. Uh, do you have any questions? Um, I don't really have any questions beyond questions I would ask like the writers, not like a plot thing. I, I just don't really understand why Raph and Melissa had to have that conversation because it kind of implies that he will be back. And I don't think he ever comes back. Does, am I wrong? Okay. So I think I'm conflating things, but Mm -hmm. you know, when everybody gets sick during the PSAT, yeah, is he there? I don't think so. You're right. I don't think he comes back. I don't think he comes back. So again, like what does that add what does that add? Because, again, I would much rather um, people just be terrible. Like, I would much rather Raph just be like, I can't do that. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm incapable of doing that because I'm a bad person. Yeah. Um, he would never say that, but that would be the implication, right? So it's just weird. Yeah, that we're supposed to sort of humanize him and then just, you know, he fucks off and it's like, okay, dude, bye. Like, you know. Yeah. It, it didn't, it felt insincere. It did. It really did. And, you know, there's kind of like a little, oh, he, when he's like, Melissa, I came to make it up to you. Well, now you're leaving and you didn't even apologize to her. Yeah. So what, why? I don't get it. I don't know. And I totally understand if he was like, you know, you don't really, I, you know, you'll you'll always fulfill this place in my life of like somebody I deeply loved. And there was like really no hint of that in their conversation. No. Which is like, that is so honest because he'd be like, we're never going to be that again, but you are still are that person to me. And I wish that that had been how it had played out. Or even him saying something about Melissa's parenting or be like, like, I know that Scott is safe and loved with you and you are doing a wonderful job. And I wouldn't like, this is complete bullshit, but him, if he were like, I don't want to step in and, and ruin that or step on your toes, Mm -hmm. that would make sense to me. Yeah. And also just, can someone acknowledge Melissa McCall for being an incredible mom? She is the, she's like her and, uh, the sheriff are in just like a neck and neck race of being the best parent on any teen show. Uh, Quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other questions? No, no questions. I don't think. Do you have observations? Yeah. Um, at the end of this episode, Danny reveals to Ethan that he knew that he was a werewolf the whole time and uh, Ethan's like what uh, uh, what Danny's so flip he's like it's beacon hills but that like it really reminded me of um in the season three finale of Buffy she like saves the world and goes to prom or this isn't the season three finale but it's like really close to the end but they go to prom and they've like given out the awards for like prom king and queen and then Jonathan who is just like he's Danny Strong he just pops up every once in a while as like the sad pathetic kid and he gets up on stage and he's like you know we have one more award to announce um is Buffy Summers here and he's like we all know that um you know Sunnydale High is not a normal high school and people die and this is like the highest like the lowest mortality rate of any graduating class and they like give her um this really cute little like tiny pink parasol and they're like we want to give you the class protector award and it's really, really emotional. Aww. But it's one of those things where, like, the whole school kind of, like, 
knows that something's going on and that Buffy is there to like save them. And we never really get another inkling of this in Beacon Hills, but I just kind of wonder how many kids at Beacon Hills High know know? that something is out there in the dark and Scott keeps it from taking them. You know, in the first couple of seasons of Smallville, nobody knows about Clark. Mm -hmm. And... Chloe gets the closest because she has what she's called, like who calls her wall of weird, which is all of the crazy things that happen in Smallville because of the meteor shower. And they just sort of like, yeah, okay, Chloe, like good for you. And, you know, it's really funny how few people suspect him or how few people are even thinking about the fact that it was like meteors that caused that is causing all of these problems in Smallville, which is like ridiculous because it's a monster of the week <laughs> show for the first little bit where it's just like every week is something weird. Mm-hmm. And it is almost so much more interesting to me because it's thankless that like Clark really does just do it because it's his duty of somebody of his ability. Yeah. And I would rather that be the case if we weren't ever going to acknowledge it again. That's an interesting take. I Nobody ever really acknowledges it on Buffy ever again. Um, but it was just a nice little moment. And mm-hmm. it's a really nice little moment when Danny is like, we live in a fucking weird town. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, my notes just say Danny been new. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any other observations? Um, Lydia's wearing a terrible dress. It's ugly. It's really, really ugly. Real bummer. I, I really like the way that all of the girls in the show dress uh i will say fashion does decrease somewhat without allison's presence yes she was kind of the queen um and i'm gonna try not to complain about this very much because it's just a fact of the show and you just have to move on but it just bothers the ever-living bejesus out of me that like malia knows how to talk like a teenager when she went into full coyote mode at eight years old and that she has, like, the social skills to interact and not make people think this girl is eight years old. Well, I will say that we have, we have like, months gap in last we saw Malia. And she has to go to group therapy every day with a bunch of other teenagers. So even though they're all in the mental hospital, like, they probably all talk like teenagers. Probably. But we also saw her behaving that way in Eichenhaus very shortly after they found her. So it's just... I wish... Like, again, I want a crumb of detail. Well, I will say that, like, it would be more interesting if Teen Wolf explored the exploration of, like, what it would be like to find a feral child, but also they would not handle it well, so I'm cool with them not handling it at all. It's fine. Um, I just wanted to... It does bother me. I know it bothers other people. <laughs> We're not ignoring it on purpose. It's just something that you have to grin and bear. Yes. Um, those, I think, are all of my observations. I'll let you know if that changes, but what are yours? Okay, so the scene where the Nogitsune is, like, terrorizing the hospital, and it's, like, in slow motion with the music so playing. So good. So good. It felt, like, very cinematic, uh, which is always fun. Um, I mentioned to you that it reminded me of a scene in Supernatural where, like, death shows up and everything moves in slow motion, and there's, like, scary music playing. Um, which is, so it's like definitely tropey. I could mm-hmm. probably pull a million other shows where shit like that happens. But it's so well constructed. Russell Mulcahy, I think we have to thank for that. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Really well directed. The yeah. lighting is phenomenal as well. I also think that it is an interesting callback to the sort of mass chaos that the Nogitsune was enacting previous, where everything has been very concentrated over the past couple of episodes, very targeted, mm-hmm. and to just sort of throw, like, show up and uh, blow up a hospital is a very dark night. So, yeah, <laughs> I actually was thinking about that and kind of wondering because I can't remember when it came out. Um, 
because obviously it's a a trope. I feel like I've seen it literally everywhere. <laughs> Just looked it up for you. Thank you. So this is post Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, actually, oh my god, this was an observation that I had that I wrote down. Um, in the Japanese garden, actually, thank you so much for looking that up because this is um kind of what I'm about to talk about. Is that the Nogitsune is doing his little speech and he's like walking around talking about seppuku and whatever and like how his game and how like you can't beat him. And I'm like, oh, this is a Bane speech. Even just like the way that he's speaking, the fact that he's like, you know, masked and muzzled, literally, like it's just it very much is like a. Um, I was made by the dark kind of shit, you know? Yes. I did not, I didn't dislike it, but I was like, this is Batman. Batman. Um, I mean, everything is referential to everything, specifically genre, so. Everything is Batman is what everything you're saying. Everything is Batman, yeah. <laughs> Except when it's Superman, as I was talking about previous. And or Spider-Man. And or, I, I think I mentioned the Winter Soldier last episode. So. Everything is comic books. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's all comics. True. Um, oh, the set deck in the in the um, like winter garden, gorgeous, gorgeous. And the fact that it was snowing is like Russell Mulcahy was like, you thought it was going to be rain, wasn't it? And then it wasn't. It was snow, and I love snow, so I'm all for it. It just was so beautiful, and because it was snowing, it grayed out the palette like in a really, really interesting way. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Oh, I thought the foley was really good on this um, episode as well when we were talking about. Um, Scott and Kira getting sliced with the katanas. Yeah, the crispness of the of the swords. Yeah, was really effective. Yeah, it was gross. It was disgusting, and I loved it. Okay, that was the last of my observations. What I about you? I don't think I have any more. So let's mm-hmm. wrap up the season a little bit, shall we? So I think we need to start with um, what inherently works about this season of Teen Wolf. It is. Pretty highly regarded as maybe the best season, if not 3A. It is, for the most part, for the most part, very tightly plotted, um, which I really appreciate because um, one of our biggest issues in the in the past has been that there's um, a lack of focus and um, obviously letting Dylan O'Brien take on a bigger role. Oh, yeah. Was oh, king shit. So smart. Um And it really, like, it says to me that Teen Wolf is, like, taking itself seriously, not in, like, a it takes itself too seriously kind of way, but it it acknowledges that it's doing something and kind of taking full advantage of the talents of the people that they're working with, Mm -hmm. which I really appreciate. Yeah, I think themes tackled and, like, ideas talked about definitely get um, more intelligent this season. Mm I, I definitely agree. Dylan O'Brien really brings his all. I mean, like that guy has never once phoned it in. No, he is. He's, and it's not like he's, it's not like I feel like he's working hard. The best part is how hard, how effortless it looks. And that's like, what's so impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're right about the tight plotting and not even just sort of like the arcing plot, but also the sort of like, slingshotty things that happen where it's like you're believing one thing the whole time and then you have to go back through episodes to believe a different thing to get through the rest of this mm-hmm. and um the amount of like you know silly MacGuffins and red herrings and like all of these things that confuse you throughout the season and the fact that it can loop up into the end of like the, it concludes in a season yeah is in- incredible comparatively especially to like stuff that happens in season two that we just like never talked about again you know yeah it's um there was 
care and a lot more attention paid to continuity, which I think is the downfall of a lot of teen shows and a lot of shows that deal with um, supernatural elements is that they're just like, well, no one cares about continuity because this is all magic. Yeah, but, but that's we do. boring. I want the rules. <laughs> yeah. I want rules. And I think there were more rules in this season than in others. Yeah, and what comes with like a good set of rules is like way higher stakes, which makes mm-hmm. it so much more engaging. Yeah. What else works about this season? The budget. (laughs) (laughs) The budget. It just, it looks nicer. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a gloss because I think that that maybe implies that there's not a lot of depth that they just like, you know, smooth it over. But I do think that the consistency in the writing team and also the fact that like Tim Andrew directed a lot of this season, um, it looks really cohesive. Yeah, it definitely, especially I think when we were doing 3A, it felt like there was a bunch of, random directors random people that we had to like introduce and yeah. i have not had to introduce an act, a director in several episodes yeah um and i'm really interested to get to season four to see what the the writing directing um team looks like mm-hmm. throughout that season uh yeah everything it feels like you mean I think this this was actually something that I think is interesting about Doctor Who hmm. is that there's a lot of guest writers and a lot of guest directors, and but you can always tell when it's like a Russell T. Davies episode, you know? Mm-hmm. And you always know when Neil Gaiman has written an episode, mostly because you're like, oh, I'll watch this one because <laughs> Neil Gaiman wrote it. Yeah. But I, it's nice not having to think about that in a show like Teen Wolf. Like I did, wasn't, I'm not expecting anything from the team that veers from you know, what they've already presented to me as like their highest quality, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. What else works? Uh, I mean, I think everyone's doing a good job, like acting wise. Um, this kind of, this is kind of like a, what works and what doesn't work at the same time. I think okay. that they were trying to introduce a lot of new mythology, which is very ambitious and very cool. And sometimes it falls very flat, but, um, I appreciate that it, it's not a monster of the week, but we have werewolves and we have canamas and we have like, what, a, what does an alpha pack look like? And now we have, um, you know, mythology that is completely outside the Western canon mm-hmm. and that there is a level of detail to that mythology that they weren't just like, this is a kid's like there's research. Don't know how much of it. Um, but there's care taken to explain a lot of that mythology, which I really appreciate. I agree. I also think that, uh, it's, Kind of slippery. Um, I think that the introduction of both like the Celtic mythology and the Japanese mythology were really instrumental in making Teen Wolf um, continue to expand without overwhelming the universe. Like obviously you assume that in a world where werewolves exist, other things also probably have to exist. Thank God it wasn't vampires. (laughs) Um, But I also think that there was some carelessness. I was going to mention the sort of Japanese internment in the things that didn't work. Um, And the way that if you go on the Teen Wolf wiki, it has like disclaimers of being like, this is a disputed part of the mythology and stuff like that, which 
the people who run the Teen Wolf with you. You run the Teen Wolf Wolf. Dang. Yeah, thank goodness. Um, it, it's a double-edged sword because I do appreciate the desire to incorporate those different mythologies and a lot of it really works and a lot of it is not handled very well. Yeah. Uh, speaking of introducing things, you know what I think works is characters introduced. Hmm. I love Kira. And mm-hmm. I love her parents, which is like funny because like they, we're not talking about them in the sort of like dad of the year competition that Melissa and uh, uh, the sheriff are in, which yeah. is like mostly just because they're not as featured. Mm-hmm. But uh, I love her dad, and I think Nishiko is so interesting. And I, I, I would oh, another person I would watch a prequel about. Um, yeah. Totally, totally Absolutely. fascinated. Uh, and I love Kira. And it's funny because I was really excited to have her introduced only to get through the season and realize that she's actually a bigger character in season four. Mm-hmm. And so that's like one of the things I'm excited about. We'll get there. And we don't get a lot of Malia in this season, but she really ends up being like a real champion of the like latter half of Dane Wolf. Yeah. I, that's one of the things that I appreciate um, about the latter half of Teen Wolf is that Allison has died and not that they replace her with Malia, but there was like, they succeed her. They succeed her. And you know, we haven't lost, um, female presence female in the show presence. Uh, yeah. I also, in terms of new characters introduced, Meredith, yeah, love her Parrish. Also, I think in this, um, particular season, I'm not like his biggest fan, but I do. Appreciate- no, I think he should stay away from high school girls. Yeah. Um, we will get there when we get there, but you know, I, it's nice to have another recognizable person in the police station. Yeah. And none of the characters who are introduced get an overwhelming amount of screen time to the point where you're like, this is distracting from what was we're bringing in from three a, um, but they're all really well suited to start their lives in four, which I'm excited about. Uh, what doesn't work about this season? The mythology. A lot of it wasn't really very well researched. I'm happy for its introduction, but I also like, it's really annoying to go on the Teen Wolf wiki and have them being like, this does, This actually isn't what that means. Because yes. it makes me think that the Teen Wolf writers were like, well, who cares? Who's going to look it up? Who actually pays attention to Japanese pathology? It's like a shitload of people. Also, like, the whole ass country of Japan. Yeah. Um, it's really frustrating because, as we were just talking about, it's nice to have other mythologies. Um, and it's part of it is really, you know, insensitive in a cultural manner, but I also think that the Teen Wolf writers don't really care about their own mythology at all. No. So it's just frustrating to see that be continued and it leads to just like the most insensitive episode of Teen Wolf ever, I think. Tied Echo House and um, whatever the internment episode is called. Mm-hmm. Tied for being, I think, like the most insensitive episodes of Teen Wolf. So I'm, far. So far. I, I think that there's a lot of stuff that we're going to have to break into in the season that like half like, takes place in Mexico that we're coming up on. Yes, and I have... Specifically um, stereotypes. ...forgotten about a lot of that, so that'll be interesting. But um, They yeah. set up the Mexican hunters to resemble a cartel. Which is the worst. Bad. Guys, bad it's, job. It's fine that there are hunters in other countries, but get it together. Um, yeah, it's offensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as, 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 as exciting as it was for the variation, I wish that had more care had been taken, um, in the execution. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, again, the episode that takes place in the internment camp, how dare you romanticize any part of that experience? Uh, that was really poorly handled and I guess it's an interesting thing to explore, but again, you dropped the ball. 
dropped the ball. It felt like it was coming way too late in the season. It didn't have the impact that you want it to have um, because it also at simultaneously didn't reveal enough. Like, like, okay, finally we're getting this backstory, but there was something that felt very lacking about that episode to me. It's kind of hard to pin it down, but um you know, for Scott essentially to be like, you're stalling, you're telling us a story that has no consequence to what we're actually currently dealing with. is just kind of like, well, then what the hell was the point of that episode? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Um, and look, even though I know that I just said that the episode was really, that the season was really tightly plotted, there was a lot of season four groundwork that they laid that they did not need to worry about that they could have cut and it would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what works? What doesn't no, work? Yeah, what, yeah, doesn't, what work? doesn't work? Not a lot of Peter. No, it's not so enough. little Peter. And like, I, <laughs> I get that like the Nogetsune fills the sort of trickster role of the series, which when the Nogetsune is not in the series, it's split between Styles and Peter, mm-hmm. um, which is like, I guess if you combine the two, you get a Nogetsune. <laughs> um, but he, it, it is significantly, we don't get enough of the humor. We we don't get as much sort of like we, we we he is like the main source of a lot of the mythology, you know. He knows things, um, and he is also just he's the, sassy and mean and handsome, and I like him. All of those things, and he, despite the fact that he is almost always telling them these things with a slant. Peter's an unreliable narrator, um, and he is almost always doing something for himself, never for anyone else. He is still so much more helpful than Deaton, who just doesn't say anything. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. (laughs) If Peter is your comparable, like, Deaton, get your shit together. And it's really frustrating because I, I like the concept of Deaton, and you just never get enough of him to be like, I see why you're important. Yeah. To series. Like he shows up every so often and this is what makes me insane is that he's like, well, you know, sometimes there are these things that contain powerful objects and maybe he didn't know that they had gotten the claws back because that's why they went to Mexico, I guess to get the claws. Yeah. Um, but he well, should have just been like, I made a box. Do you know where it is? <laughs> Instead of being like, there are these boxes. Well, he would assume that the Hales had it. Yeah. But he would not know that Scott and Lydia would know about the box because they that adventure was separate from Dean. Dean would have no way of connecting those dots, but also he would have been like, you know, the Hales might have one, you yeah. know, which would have been helpful. And then Scott yeah. could be like, oh my God, I already, I totally know what you're talking about. Or Lydia or whatever. Yes. Um, yeah. Not helpful. Not, not enough. Not enough, Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's always room for more Isaac <laughs> of course uh I you know what I wish that's how this ended I wish this actually ended with an actual funeral we've seen one funeral for any character in Teen Wolf it was Kate and that sucked mm-hmm. I think it should have ended with a funeral not just Scott crying on his mom's arms which is beautiful which I thought was really touching please please acknowledge death in the way that is appropriate for like real life yeah, I don't ne- I don't necessarily think I wanted it to close out on a funeral. I think that the imagery of like Scott crying into his mom's arms and Styles taking down his murder board, like those images are really evocative. I wish they had followed a funeral. Yes. Instead yeah. of 
fucking Derek dream sequence that wasn't actually a dream sequence. And Kate, which we'll have to talk about in season four, but I don't want to. She's coming. Yeah. Um, what are we going to miss this season? Allison. Allison. Duh. That's kind of my only really big one. I mean, I'm going to miss some of the writing and the stylistic choices, obviously, because we're moving into the latter half of Teen Wolf, which is quite frankly, not as triumphant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really want to sit around being like, God, we'll never get another season like this ever again. Cause six B exists. I mean, six A exists. There are things to really like about the latter seasons of Teen Wolf. Um, but I am, well, I'm going to miss Allison and I'm going to miss Chris and Isaac cause they're gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this particular, cause um, Chris is also another big supplier of information. Yeah. He knows things. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there was there was very little um, high school happening in 3B, mm-hmm. which is fine and good because a lot of 3A happened in high school because of fucking Jennifer. Um, so that's okay. But, you know, I think that they kind of go back to basics in 4, and I'm going to kind of miss the outer um, life of the pack, which I think we saw a lot more of. Yeah. I could be mis- misremembering, but that's... It sort of mm-hmm. um, condenses a little bit back in 4, mm-hmm. which is fine because I think that that is the only appropriate reaction to um, some of this. Like if you do something really big, the next step has to either reflect something that's already happened like in four, or it has to be have way higher emotional stakes than the physical stakes, which is a little bit what happens in five. Mm -hmm. So I think that it does, it does negotiate its way out of three B correctly. That said, I'm like, I'm kind of miss Allison. I'm going to miss, th- we never, we don't see another episode like Riddled or Motel California until 6B. Mm-hmm. I mean, 6A. Why do I keep getting this confused? 6A. Um, and I'm going to miss some of the more, thi- I'm going to miss some of the things that are artistic for the purpose of being artistic. I think it gets a little bit more technical as we move on. Yeah. Um, I would agree. I'm, yeah, I'm going to miss Al- Allison, Isaac, Chris. I'm going to miss, I don't know. I don't know. What are we excited for? What are you What are you looking forward to in season four? I love Liam so much. I love Liam. I love Malia. I love <laughs> that bitch. I love her so much. I am so excited. This is actually, I think, something that Teen Wolf does really well, which I'm sure some people are going to disagree with me about, but I think that they do a really good job of integrating new characters, and I think that an excellent example of that is Malia. I love the little breadcrumb they dropped um, in this last episode where she's talking to Coach. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, and she and Lydia, like, smile at each other a little bit, and you just know that she's going to, like, be a part of that group. Yeah, and, and, Scott, and Scott teaches her how to, like, unfurl her claws, you know? Which is so cute. It's a little bit making up for the fact that he did on coyote her and she didn't want that um but yeah they they, she she ends up fitting in in a way that that this is so brilliant there's no friction amongst the women as she negotiates her way into the friend group Mm -hmm. there's no like get away from my boyfriend type garbage yeah which is some of the most intelligent things about um lydia and styles is how they are never jealous of each other having a different partner no it's oh, amazing. The galaxy brain. <laughs> so How could good. anybody think that that was fan service? No. Wild. Um, I'm so excited for, yeah, I'm so excited for the new characters. Um, I, they start playing lacrosse again in season yeah. four. Which I've yeah. kind of missed. Yes. So funny when Coach is talking to Malia, he's like, you should run track. You have excellent muscle definition because <laughs> it's not creepy. She's just crazy strong because she's a fucking coyote. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, excellent. And... Um, if we have to go back to high school, 
the fact that they're playing lacrosse again um is great and it becomes another really good like plot device with liam yeah um can you tell that I'm very excited for you? Love to come Liam. I, really just, I like Mason too. He's I'm just I'm my, for Mason. My small. Wait, angry does babies. Hayden get introduced next season? Can I say what I'm not excited Maybe for next season? A I do not like Hayden. Um, Maybe I actually don't know. I think she's pretty exclusively five. Five. I feel like maybe she transfers. I could maybe 100 be making we that up. We will see. Um, I'm excited for some of the aesthetics of four it really plays into the whole desert thing and yes. right now beacon hills is sort of wet and dark and there's a lot of light mm-hmm. airiness in season four i'm excited for yeah um i don't think this happens in more than like the finale but i do really like the concept of the berserkers i like the fact that they've brought it up in season three mm-hmm. um because that didn't feel out of place it just felt like peter supplying information Um, I like the idea that like, even though you're already a werewolf, that you can be like turned into something even more horrific. Mm -hmm. Very interesting to me. Is this the season where we get, uh, young Derek? Maybe. Wait. Yeah. I'm pumped for this season. This is young Derek season. (laughs) Yeah. My cousin Miguel comes back and it turns out Derek does speak Spanish. (laughs) Which make a, make a decision. So Raphael is in that, in, in the next season because he's the one who he speaks Spanish to. Okay, he comes back. I take back my complaining. No, I don't, because I'm sure he doesn't do good things in the next season, or I would have Meanwhile, everyone that. is tuned out, because these are they're like, these bitches do not know what they're talking about. I'm sorry, I don't remember. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, but you know what? We, I have not watched, like, I had started re-watching, so I have seen seasons one through three, three times now, mm-hmm. because I had started re-watching before we started doing this, and I have not seen four to the end since the first time I watched it, which was two years ago at this point. So I'm excited for discovery. Yeah. I'm excited yeah. to just not have a clue what's going on. We're going to be asking, we're going to have so many more questions for our Q's and O's because we're not going to remember anything. Yes. It's going to be great. Um, I think that kind of wraps up our discussion for concluding this season. I will miss mm-hmm. the shit out of three B. I was so excited to talk about the season and I had fun every podcast. Um, we didn't do pack stats. Do you want to quickly throw them in? Um, I do. Yeah. So we had, five six instances of eyes um just you know the twins and Derek with their like the the three sets of blue pinpricks in the dark I thought was really cool I really liked that um I'm a simple bitch you know um so there were six of them and then three claws Mm -hmm. including the two where Scott is teaching Milia to pull out her claws in the very fun like dramatic werewolf way Mm -hmm. very sweet no shirts no sirens the radiator went off a little bit it did um but yeah i think we should talk about our alpha for the season well well, my alpha of the week yeah season week is Mm -hmm. styles duh yeah yeah um he tried he 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 did the damn thing good for him Mm -hmm. uh my alpha the season is allison i would give it as a tie to lydia and allison because okay um i mean allison yes because she has been martyred um and also because she does she does a lot of legwork she does a lot of groundwork figuring out what the problem is um and saving people's butts and lydia kind of comes into her own as a banshee and um does a lot of important things scott really takes a back seat um yeah well i think i think that was the only way to make styles being the main character of this season work yeah but yeah it's definitely allison Thank you for your service. <laughs> no, and I just, I was thinking about the scene where they are trying to get the, the finger 
And mm-hmm. like Isaac is like sweating through his suit trying to like distract people. And she just rolls in with the gun and just like kicks ass. And I'm like, yeah, you are. She just acted without reservation all the time. And that did, was to her detriment in season two. But bringing that into like her newfound like moral code and the way that she treats her friends, it it is incredible. And we don't really have I would say that Malia kind of does that. But Malia doesn't have the like moral obligations to the people around her that Allison did. And it I think that we miss some of that sort of like leap with without looking type of badass girl material. And I think that Allison is great and what a good character. I would agree. Rip. Yes. We loved her. I guess that wraps it up for season three B crazy. We will be back soon with, um, season four. Mm-hmm. We might take a week off. We'll see. Um, th- that will be updated on Twitter. Uh, other than that, if you guys enjoyed this podcast or have enjoyed any of our previous podcasts, we hope that you leave us a review on iTunes. If you leave us a review, we'll read it out loud on the pod and give you a shout out on Twitter. Um, we also hope you follow us on Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf, and you can join our Facebook group, Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. Join, share the memes, join in the discussion, uh, make some friends. Other than that, I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, woo!